Good morning. My name is Missy Bell and I am so glad to be back with my Water's Edge family sharing with you today about embracing others. Um, And this is as we continue to walk through the values of this church. Um, Your pastors, your people have been so incredibly kind as they embraced me that I honestly feel humbled to be sharing on this value, a value that is so incredibly needed in the age we find ourselves in. Um, I have to admit, I love the verb in this value, embracing. It kind of reminds me of that perfect hug. You know the ones I'm talking about. The hug from a person in your life who loves you unconditionally. Uh, The one um, when you see that person, you know, you stabilize your two feet because you know it's going to be good. And they come and they put one arm up and the other goes down and you embrace in like an X and they squeeze you for like a solid four seconds. And you're probably saying, "Mm, it's so good to see you. And so are they. And you feel the reverb in their chest because they're talking And then they release you and you can take a deep breath again because that hug was just so tight. That's what I think of when I hear the word embrace. Um, But I can also tell you um, the people I don't think of, the people that don't come to mind. You know, I, uh, I don't think of my neighbor on the other side of my apartment complex who I've only ever seen at the laundromat. Or I don't think of my Starbucks gal who I see weekly. Um, Or I don't think of, you know, the homeless individuals I see every day driving to work on the bridges that um, are over the five. Um, And I definitely don't think about those that have wronged me, you know, or those that could not have more of a different ideology than me. I I just don't think about them. Um, But it could be argued that that word other in your value, you know, embracing others, Um, that other is explaining just them, right? I mean, I don't describe my friends as other and I don't describe my my husband as other or my mom or my family. You know, those that give me that perfect hug, I don't think of them. I mean, I do think of them, but I don't think that's what the word other is explaining. Um, You know, those that are other to me are those that are outside my normal scope of people. And, uh, but they also are often those that could make me quote unquote dirty. Um, let's take a look at Matthew 9, 10. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 9, 10. So if you want to open your Bible or pull out your Bible app, um, it says this. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciple, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he being Jesus, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, right before... This dinner, Jesus called Matthew, the tax collector, to his side. Uh, Then they find themselves kicking it, relaxing, enjoying some good food with those that the Pharisees would say were the worst kind of company, the worst people to have at your dinner table. And I don't know who that would correlate to in, in today's age. Maybe it would be people from certain news outlets or maybe even certain government officials. Um... 
But back to the stories, the Pharisees say, what's going on here? How could Jesus, the supposed holy man, put himself near those that are quite literally the farthest from being holy? You know, the Pharisees are insinuating that by Jesus being in their presence, he himself is becoming unclean. And becoming unclean had all sorts of ramifications for Jews. Um, Rules and practices had to be done per Levitical law to become clean again, which is surely what the Pharisees were thinking of when they saw Jesus with these sinners. But what they hadn't considered is what Jesus' embrace could do to those who were unclean. The Pharisees never considered that Jesus had a purifying, redemptive, and cleansing effect upon his company. The reason why this is important is because it sets the stage for us in what Christ did in our lives. Uh, in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, we know Christ loved us. And he gave himself for us on the cross and gave us his spirit to indwell in us. As he came close to us, he cleansed us of our sins and restored us to relationship with him. We know this. He entered the sinful, the dirty, that which could not be in his presence without serious ramifications. And he set up shop. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Uh, You know, biblical scholar Michael Gorman calls this idea cruciformity, living our lives under the symbol of the cross so that we are empowered to love others self-sacrificially. And, and this is reflected in John 13, 34. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Uh, we stop ourselves from embracing others because we are worried about how their sin will dirty us or even impact us. Um, But what often comes secondary in our minds is what Christ's love and power will do for them, right? How it will purify them and make them clean, the power of love. And this brings us to our first point. Embracing others is a call to love in a way that will cost us something. So embracing others is a call to live in a way that will cost us something. Uh, You know, my daily work is to help churches like yours care for vulnerable children and families with an organization called Olive Crest. And I have a front row view to those who self-sacrifice and care for families and children they just met as they open their heart in their home for a short period of time while the child's parent addresses the crisis in their life. And um, recently, there was a host family, right, that a family that opens up their home and they opened it to a little girl whose mom was pregnant and needed someone to care for her, um, care for the little girl while the mom, while her mom gave birth. And, um, the mom was obvious, was a bit nervous, right? Totally normal. The mom was nervous about strangers caring for her baby girl. 
And so they had planned on a few dates before um, her due date. Well, mom's pregnancy unfortunately took a turn and she was in and out of the hospital during that the month leading up to her due date. So the plans had changed and um, this host family was driving 45 minutes back and forth to the hospital every time mom got admitted and they were caring for this little girl, right? They would pick her up from the hospital where mom was, they'd take her home, they'd have fun. And then when mom got out of the hospital, the host family would return this little girl. And um, this little girl, she was having a blast. I mean, this host family has gaggles of children and she just got to be a part of this crew. Um, and when she was reunited with her mom, um, she told her mom about all the fun she had had. And uh, let's just say... Uh, the the bio mom was not very happy hearing about it and ended up severing the relationship between her and the host family. Um, and just to like put this in a framework, this host family had cared for that little girl over 20 nights. And the host families were hurt, reasonably so. Uh, they had just self-sacrificially cared for a child and were not only not thanked, but they were also blamed. Uh, so, of course, we called the family and we wanted to talk to them and we wanted to give them a chance to debrief with us and, you know, just talk about it. And I have to say they surprised me with the most beautiful outlook on everything. Uh, they were gracious and understanding and knew that mom was in a tough time and they didn't take it personally. And you see, their identity it was so rooted in the story of Jesus, so confident in his goodness, beauty, and the truth of the gospel that they knew opening their heart and home was not only the right thing, but it was a good thing. And self-sacrificial love costs us, us something, whether that's our pride or our reputation or our time. Um, sacrifice means it's going to cost us something. And I'm just curious, when was the last time that you had to sacrifice? And I mean truly sacrifice to love someone else or to even love a child. Uh, John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Christ then goes on to say, You are my friends if you do what I command. And as I read this first, I just wondered um, if, as Christ was saying that, that he knew this self-sacrificial love that he was calling us to was going to be so hard for us mere humans that he had to promise himself as a friend in order for us to love others. Um, embracing others, it's a call to be intentionally proximate with people who are not like you. Proximity is the connective tissue between God's love in us and God's love through us. And I know, I know that this point is not going to knock any theological socks off, but in an age where most people want to draw their circles tighter, right? The call of Christ on our lives is to be so secure in our identity in him and so obedient to his calling that we don't tighten our circles, we actually expand them. We don't need to fear like the Pharisees did, that we are going to become unclean by those that don't follow in his way. We can be convinced and assured that the light of Jesus shines so bright that they will see our Heavenly Father in what we do. 
you know, in the work that I do, I often, um, I'll share about becoming a host family and I'll share it with those that already have, um, they have kids, right? And so I'll, a question I often receive is, well, what about my kids and what about their safety and how will this impact them? And, and those are good and honest questions, but I just want to throw out there that being proximate is not just for the grownups, guys. Being proximate is, it's also for the kids, for for the kids, our kids that have always known food on their table and a roof over their heads. Brian Stevenson, um, he's a lawyer who has dedicated his life to helping the poor, uh, the incarcerated, the condemned. He wrote a book called Just Mercy. There's a movie. I highly recommend them both. But he's, he has spent his life walking with those that have lived very different experiences than him, a Harvard grad. Um, and he says this, Proximity has taught me some basic and humbling truths, including this vital lesson. Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Again, I'll say it again. Proximity has taught me some basic and humbling truths, including this vital lesson. Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. When host families open their homes to mothers who honestly are probably at the worst place they've ever been, the worst moment that they've ever been, they agree to that truth and through caring for her children, say to her, you are more than this moment. That's what host families are saying to these bio moms. You are more than this moment. You are more than this circumstance. And what you might think is the worst thing, we as believers are saying, you will find undeserved grace and mercy in our home as we have found it in Christ. You know the one sentence that always brings our bio moms to tears? It's when I say, you are a good mom. This is often met with, um, like, really? Am I? Or I've never been told that before. What proximity allows us to recognize is the Imago Dei and others who are often reminded of their shortcomings. And gosh, I just think who doesn't need that recognition in their lives? I know I need it. It's balm to a weary soul. It reminds us that we are made in the image of God, that every person bears his goodness. It reminds us that we are his workmanship. A mom reaching out for help for her family is a good mom. We have all had times when we have needed to reach out to others, right? And and I challenge you that what if in these moments, they are our teachers? What if we were close enough to others to see them actually reaching out to us? That there's a reciprocity that happens in these relationships and there is something to be learned from them. Whether that's the reminder that we're all in need of of help, right? Or which is a reminder that we need reliance on Christ, or giving them the opportunity to literally teach us something. The relationship is not one way. You know, the best relationships are those that have reciprocity. And if we're not proximate to people that don't know him or our other from ourselves or from our friends or from the people that we normally hang out with then who is to remind those people, them, that they were made in the likeness of a good God? You know, who is to remind them 
that there is a God that wants to be in relationship should we ask for forgiveness. Who is to remind us of this undeserved grace? Uh, Lastly, embracing others is a call to enact justice so that healing can take place. Justice is what love looks like in action. It's the practical result of loving God and loving others. I'll say it again. Justice is what love looks like in action. Um, I stole this from an organization I really admire called World Relief. But uh, biblical justice involves healing the brokenness that marred our relationships with each other. Choosing to live justly results in restoration and healing. Healing. Uh, That's the goal of justice. I'll leave you with this. In the Bible, uh, there were six times people said to God, here I am, which essentially is a declaration that I am totally present to the one calling me. You know, people like Noah, (laughs) Um, or excuse me, Moses. Uh, But that same phrase is used when God is speaking to his people in Isaiah 58, 6 through 12, and it's a really unique moment. So um, Isaiah 58, 6 through 12, it starts and says this, is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall call and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. You see, when God's people choose to fight for equity, for justice, for making relationships right, God presents himself to us and says, here am I. He he then helps us imagine new possibilities for living against violence, injustice, and deception, turning towards injustice to fight with others, Gosh, it's intimidating. And and it can be downright scary. Uh, But God says, here am I. In him, we have power to fight against injustice. To tear down practices that do not reflect his heart or his compassion. With him, we have the opportunity to reimagine systems that do not reflect his character. And then we can join arms with others to build that system, his system, into reality. Imagine a world where the confidence in Christ to build these systems overcomes the fear of difference. 
Uh, In light of what I have shared today, I want to put before you a few tangible next steps. Uh, One is to become a host family. Gosh, we have never seen the need quite like we have in this last month. Uh, We are already at nearly 40 hostings, which means um, 40 times a family has opened up their home all across San Diego. So open your home, open your heart. And personally, I'll say don't lag on getting the paperwork done. I know there's absolutely nothing thrilling about paperwork, but it will put you one step closer in being proximate with a mom and a child who needs you and you need them. Um, Another step is be a part of a care community. Uh, A care community um, essentially wraps around a foster family with tangible, emotional, and spiritual support. So that could look like bringing a meal or mowing a lawn. It could look like babysitting. Um, These simple things can have profound impact. And lastly, um, pray and ask that God would put you proximate to people who are not like you. Uh, Pray that God would give you opportunities to meet people that are very different than you and ask how you can shine his light and bear his heart to a world that is desperate for him, him, for him. Let's go ahead and pray.